Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Meet the Manager is back. Our regular catch-up with the best advice from some of the community's top FPL managers of all time continues. Yes, we will focus on those with an incredible rank history, but we are adding to that this season and we're including managers with an interesting story to tell about how FPL is impacting on their lives. We'll also focus on managers who are offering a unique insight and research into the game to propel them and hopefully us and me and you up the rankings today i'm joined by ross dowsett who has become something of an fpl celebrity this summer with the launch of his fascinating book on fpl and psychology called the mind game uh, what we'll do is find out a bit more about the book and also how it, he plans to apply that to his own team um, and so he can improve and so you can improve too ross how are you Hi Joe, thank you very much. Yeah, delighted to come on. I've watched all the Meet the Manager episodes and like you say, normally focused on elite managers with elite ranks, of which I'm not, which we'll discuss in a minute, but yeah. it's, it's nice to sort of branch out. And I think the more angles that we can approach FPL from, the the more knowledge we'll have and the better we'll improve our, our decision-making. So I'm, I'm delighted to be the, the first of this sort of new journey for Meet the Manager. Good stuff, thank you. Um, um, yeah, what what we um, often do in the Meet the Manager, we, we, we put up a screen grab of some fantastic stellar career history. Yeah. Um, but as we do that, often I find people, the feedback I get is that people are more interested in the seasons where it didn't go so well. Um, and when yeah. I ask the question, you know, what went wrong? What are you going to do to improve? And I think people find um, they get more out of that as well. So um, that's perfect for you. So we're not going to put a screen grab of yours up because your career history is quite frankly awful. <laughs> but you're going to get much better because you've written a whole book about how um, psychology uh, can be used to improve FPL management as well. So, um, yeah, looking at your career history, uh, I'll just put a picture of your book up <laughs> for this bit. Um so there we go. There's your book, The Mind Game. Um, I'm not going to put a picture up. So last season, you were just outside the top 120,000. And the previous seasons were even worse. They were so worse that, that your team is no longer exists. That team doesn't exist. So you started afresh for 120,000. Um, so, yeah. but, but you're armed with a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in sports psychology. Correct me if I'm getting any of this wrong. And your current PhD in sports psychology. Um, you're going to get better, presumably. Um, so looking at your book, looking at the things in that, what did you do? What have you done wrong and what are you going to do right from now on? And, um, I know you've got a handy chapter sort of top tips as well. So I don't know if you want to go through that or just, you know, just fire away. (laughs) 
Yeah, sounds good. So, I mean, before last season, so I joined the FPL community in June 2020, which was Project Restart. And before that, I didn't even realize that overall rank was a thing. I didn't realize that people took it this seriously, that there were all these underlying statistics and Scout as a, as a website and and the Twitter community. So I, during lockdown, I was a little bit bored, went onto Twitter and realized that there was this huge community. And I realized I love FPL, but the main reason I hadn't taken it seriously and probably the main reason for the poor ranks is I didn't really have many people to play with. And it means that it's, you find it difficult to stay committed throughout the entire mm. season. So, yeah, I joined during Project Restart. I had a really good end to the season, but still, I think that was my best finish prior to that, which was about 250k. Um, really wasn't great. And then last season, I thought, I'm going to go hardcore. I'm going to really try my best to get a really good rank. And this is the the fresh start for FPL Raptor rather than being just Ross. Okay. Uh, and I still finished 120k, which obviously is is worse than your your worst ever season. But I, I learned a lot of things. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, I'll blame it on variance that I didn't get into the top 100k. But we'll discuss. I definitely made a few mistakes. And yeah, it's it's important to reflect on your season. And as you say, the, the biggest learning curves are always where we've gone wrong and where we've made potential okay. mistakes. And the book is a good way to reflect on that try and catch the mistakes before we make them but also a nice way to reflect and look back on your season and realize where you've made those those biased decisions okay I mean, what i often do when i look at uh, reports as a journalist look at reports from organizations and charities or or businesses yep. uh, i go i go straight to the conclusion <laughs> uh, which i know in your book you were saying when you're looking at threads perhaps don't always look at the conclusion of threads um but um yep you've got a handy chapter you've got your top five tips so you've sort of yep. pulled together all the key things for you um and other managers um and the tip one we'll go through them and then you explain a bit more about what what it is and, and how you're going to improve um tip yep. one beware the bias blind spot what exactly is bias uh, in fpl yeah, so cognitive biases it is a sort of cohort of literature and research in the early, late, late 70s, early 80s that suggested that, hey, humans aren't perfect. And that might seem like an obvious thing to us now. But prior to that, we thought that humans were these rational beings that always made optimal decisions. And it was Kahneman and Tversky, these two psychologists, they came along and said, hey, wait a minute, we make really terrible decisions some of the time. Um, and so they started to do research into that. And these this idea that we make these irrational subjective decisions are known as cognitive biases. And again, they suggest that humans aren't perfect. So one of the main themes of the book and one of the main themes of what I do in trying to apply psychology to FPL is helping people acknowledge what these cognitive biases are. And once you acknowledge them, you can hopefully try and reduce them and avoid falling victim to them, which is a lot easier than it sounds mm. because of the bias blind spot. So the bias blind spot essentially says, we can see biases in other people so i can say hey joe i can i can see you're experiencing this bias here you're experiencing this bias in decision making but i don't experience that bias i'm a perfect human being i i'm never i i don't have bias towards my club i don't have bias towards my decision making and again you might be thinking i don't have bias blind spot but most of us do so it's a really sort of ironic and funny way to start the book to start this chat is that mm. If we're mentioning these cognitive biases and you're thinking, hey, I, I don't I don't experience that cognitive bias. I'm not a biased person. You may be suffering from the bias blind spot. And I think it's very important because as FPL managers, myself included with my not so great history, we want to constantly be improving. And the bias blind spot suggests that we are sort of we get in our own way and we create our own obstacles by thinking that we're these perfect managers and that we can't improve. So always be willing to improve. Realize that there is always room for improvement and realize that as we're discussing these cognitive biases 
you may be experiencing them without realising that. So is there an example, say, for example, last season or perhaps the season before where where you had a bias, a particular bias, and what sort of bias was it? And, you know, what, what player involved? What was going through your mind, basically? Yeah, as, as it was one last season, definitely. And it was probably one of the main reasons that I've failed to finish inside the top 100K. Because I think if I'd have avoided this bias, then I probably would have just sneaked in because I was only about 15 points away in the end. Mm. So it's a really interesting one. It's known as the Semmelweis reflex. And it's named after a man called Ignaz Semmelweis. Mm-hmm. Uh, before germ theory was around, about 20 years before germ theory was around, he found out that people, if they washed their doctors, if they washed their hands in between surgeries, they would reduce childhood, mm-hmm. childbed mortality rates tenfold. Right. So it would completely reduce the amount of deaths you'd ex- experience in hospitals, basically because of germs, if you wash your hands. At the time, all of the doctors and all of the noble men rejected that because they said men's hands can't transmit diseases. We, a gentleman's hands would never have diseases. So they rejected new information because it conflicted with their already established beliefs. Mm. So if you now fast forward to FPL, what it essentially says is that we're really close-minded naturally. We, we like to reject new information. We like to continue with our original course of action and any new information that arises that, that goes against our original belief or our original plan of action mm we like to reject and that's also called plan continuation bias which is my, my favorite so we just continue with that plan of action yeah. and we don't we don't look at all the alternatives new statistics arise we ignore those and that happened with me with with two players um the first one was calvert lewin in the first about 10 mm. game weeks when he was just consistently scoring i didn't start the season with him i didn't really have a price point to get to him and i just kept saying no his stats aren't that good he's not going to keep scoring he's not going to keep scoring and week on week i'd check my phone and he'd keep scoring and he'd keep scoring and because my original course of action was i'm not going to have calvert lewin i'm not going to have that price point for that striker i'm not going to bring him in i was rejecting all the information which was clearly stating you mm. should bring in calvert lewin and i was just being completely stubborn and completely closed-minded mm. and perhaps if i'd written the book earlier i wouldn't have been, i wouldn't have done that now but I'm, I'm much more willing to be reactive to that and and the second player was lingard and I suppose Lingard in the second half of the season was slightly different because his statistics weren't necessarily backing up what he was doing on the pitch. But still, a lot of the sort of more reactive, adaptive managers, they just went, hey, he's performing well, I'm going to bring him in. Mm. And and I didn't, again, and so I didn't own Lingard at any point last season. And I just refused to bring him in because my original course of action was, I'm going without Lingard. I was completely closed-minded. So and, your, your view was, of Lingard was, he's a guy who just doesn't score FPL points, he might not even play, because that's been yeah, Lingard... And- yeah exactly that, that was it early on I was like I'm not sure if he's even going to start every game for West Ham is he going to be able to find that form what's his fitness mm-hmm. like which was a fair enough conclusion but when he started playing every match scoring goals that's the time as FPL managers FPL changes week by week we have to be so dynamic mm-hmm. and flexible and, and late riser Pernil in particular he, he talks about how you need to be dynamic and, and adaptive as a manager mm-hmm. and that's so important if you want to get those top ranks and that's probably what I've struggled with in the past is I'm very stubborn and set in my ways but writing this book and thinking about these biases I think the key thing is just don't be stubborn in your ways. Be open-minded, adapt to new information because as humans, we like to lock ourselves into a particular frame of thinking. And when you lock yourself in, it's then very difficult to get out of that frame of thinking. Yeah, I mean, an example I, I can give is, is actually today, I've tinkered with my team a little bit. And I've, t- I've this is, you know, lots of tinkering, but I've taken Fernandez out uh, for the coming season uh, because my my bias was, or my was that Fernandez is just the man to have. You have to have him at all yep. costs. He will propel me to win FPL. But then um, 
I looked around. I think, well, I can't get another type of player. I can't get um, a slightly cheaper player. Um, and perhaps Mason Greenwood would be okay. Perhaps Cavani would be okay. Um, and and I'm not going to captain Fernandez. So that's an example. I'm not necessarily I'm going to do that, but that's an example. I guess what you're saying there of yep. of having a bias and then adapting that and changing that and accepting perhaps a different point of view. Um, yeah. Um, but um, at the same time, is it important to sort of play your own game? Is it important to actually have a bias? So, for example, it's, it's important to have fear sometimes because otherwise it stops you getting into dangerous situations, um, yep. part of nature. Um, but is it actually important to have a bias sometimes? I th- yeah, I think you're spot on because <laughs> as you say, as you say th- these biases basically originate from subjectivity and emotions mm. and emotions are very important back in like the caveman days it it showed that if, if, if you were fearful of a situation it was probably a very dangerous one to be in obviously fast forward to current day the cognitive biases developed and and certain emotions are less dangerous now but it's important to realize i don't think biases in in any case mm. are ever really positive to have but they are an important part of being a subjective idiosyncratic person like you are an individual person you don't want to just become a robot that spots every bias stops yourself from doing it and then makes the perfect decision because mm. fpl is about having fun and there's nothing better than bringing in a player from your favorite team captaining them and they get a haul and you're like yeah i love that because it, it is and this upsets a few people that i say fpl is all about fun but if you are enjoying the game but you've not got a great rank but you are loving every part of what you're doing then you're then you're winning FPL, right? And because if you're top 10k, but you've stressed all season and you're really sad, and you're upset and you're depressed, then then you've not really enjoyed the game. And you're not playing for the right reasons, probably. So it's important to acknowledge that we're not perfect. Be willing to make mistakes. Be willing to be biased, and that is part of the game, absolutely. Okay. Um, your your second tip, tip two, time of day to make a key decision. So you've got a nice um, handy guide in the book about. Um, whether you're basically a morning or evening person. Yeah. Um, I, I came out of that as a morning person. Um, so we're recording this in the morning, which is handy yep. for me and hopefully yep. for you. Um, but Or maybe <laughs> not. So, um, yeah, what type of person are you <laughs> And um, in terms of time of day? And, and why is it important to... Why is the time of day important in terms of making a decision in FPL? Yeah, this is this is a quite a high personal interest to me. It was sort of what I did during my bachelor's. I did a lot of eyewitness testimony, memory and time of day of, of when we should ask eyewitnesses questions. And there's a lot of research into it and it applies really well to FPL. So I'm an evening person. Mm. What that essentially means is that I function optimally in the evening. So oh, if you were to ask- <laughs> So I'm inviting you on this morning to record is- <laughs> Yeah, this is when you realize it's all gibberish, no. Um, so, but I'm quite high on both. So I can perform quite optimally in the morning and also the evening, but some people can't perform well in the morning, some perform well in the evening. But with respect to making your key decisions in FPL at a certain time of day, there are basically two schools of thought. One is that we should make our decisions in accordance with our chronotype, which is basically, are you a morning person or are you an evening person? So if Joe's a morning person, this suggests that he should make most of his key decisions in FPL in the morning. And if I'm an evening person, so I should probably make my decisions in the evening. And there's a nice little study that says that we can improve our performance by 26% just by aligning our performance with our chronotype. So just by making your decision in the morning, if you're a morning person, you can increase your performance by a quarter, which is massive. So it's definitely something to consider. The other school of thought is that no matter what your chronotype, doesn't matter if you're an evening person or a morning person, you should make your decision in the morning. And the key reason for that is because as the day progresses, our cognitive functioning does 
slowly, slowly worse. And even if you are an evening person throughout the day, because you're coming tired and because of something known as sleep pressure, you're running out of time, you're getting more tired, your cognitive functioning does start to slow down, which is why we often drop things in the evening and we start to slur our words, we feel really tired. Well, That's just, a, yeah. Big people who watch the Scoutcast will know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but so yeah, cognitive functioning goes down. So that says that we make really risky decisions in the evening and we probably don't consider all of our alternatives. And there's a lot of nice research in chess which suggests that chess players should, if they want to be really risky and aggressive, they should play in the evening. And if they want to play more safe and preventative, they should play in the morning. But what that essentially means is that if you're making a decision in the evening, what I would suggest is do all of your research. That's absolutely fine. Do your research in the evening. But maybe, unless you need to for a price change, try and wait until the morning to confirm that. And that is something that I actually implemented last season and it massively improved my game because I remember at 11 p.m. I'd write down, I'm going to bring in, Mo Salah this week and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd go why did I make that decision why did I why did I think that? I didn't even consider the fact that De Bruyne has got Norwich and, and Bruno's got a great fixture as well so it's it's important to it's important to reevaluate in the morning because in the yeah. evening sometimes we make really risky yeah. decisions you, you and go when, to bed and you yeah. wake up with granite jacket wondering what the hell has happened <laughs> <laughs> exactly and it's where the, the phrase comes from you know sleep on it yeah. And there is a lot of research to suggest that just sleeping on it not only takes out the emotional component, mm. but also it's, it's just less risky, okay. uh, your decisions in the morning. So very interesting. Though. Um, with, with the FPL schedule, with the, the weekly schedule, um, that can be quite tricky. So I, I personally tend to make a lot of my moves, uh, my main move on, on the Friday. So say there's a Friday deadline, Friday night, or even a Saturday morning deadline, um, a Saturday lunchtime rather. I will make my move after the press conferences. So about two o'clock, three o'clock. So does that still yep. count as morning? I don't know. But um, it's afternoon, really. But that, that's when I do that, because I've then been given the extra information on a particular player I'm thinking of bringing in. So thinking again, Bruyne in, oh, press conference, he's injured, I won't. Um, and uh, I perhaps yep. won't, won't make a transfer. So that that's when I tend to make my, my moves. So is is that kind of right is is that does that still count as being a morning person um so that would probably be an intermediate person tend to make mm. best decisions in the afternoon because they're not performing optimally when they've just woken up and mm. they're not performing optimally just before bed so if you if you do the questionnaire in the book and you're intermediate i'd suggest that's a good time but with fpo it's interesting because confirming your transfers isn't the same as making the decision oh. often you can do a lot of your research you can go on to scout get all your underlying statistics narrow it down to two options and then at least you've done the majority of your decision making before so what you can do is do your research narrow down your options at the time of day that suits your chronotype so you can do that in the morning mm -hmm. and then obviously if you need to wait until the press conferences to just update some information then that works as well but yeah it's difficult in fpl to say always make a decision in the morning because if you've got a price rise and you're going to be out of money then you have to make it in the evening. Mm. But that sort of time pressure of it's one one in the morning and you've got 30 minutes to make this transfer, that's the sort of thing that will lead you to make illogical decisions normally. Um, so, for example, in a week where um, the obvious captain is Salah and you make a decision in your head, I mean, you don't have to make the transfer, but you can make the decision in your head, oh, I'm going to captain Salah. He's the obvious one. It's a, that's the risk-free one. That's a morning transfer, I would say. Um, <laughs> However, you get those weeks sometimes. Uh, Liverpool playing Chelsea, uh, Manchester United are playing Man City. Um, it's, it's tricky to know who to captain. Suddenly, like Everton, West Ham, they perhaps have um, the, the better upside, the better fixture that could be the best captaincy. It's a risk, though. So would that type of week for the captaincy be good in an evening? Make that decision in the evening. Yeah, spot on. And, and it, it applies to rank as well. I think um, I've said if you're chasing 
and you want to make some pretty risky aggressive moves make them in the make them in the evening because you'll probably be in that frame of mind yeah. uh, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily line up like that always and it, it a lot of it is to do with sleep so if you're sleep deprived you'll still probably make poor decisions in the morning anyway and if you've had a lot of sleep by the time the evening comes around you, you might still be performing quite optimally so it doesn't always line up like that but yeah if you're chasing and you want to make a slightly aggressive move consider it in the evening potentially okay good advice um tip three the order you receive information so um for me i'm a bit different because i have to prepare for things like the scout cast and the captaincy video so i've sort of done all my research on a monday or a tuesday and so i've formulated a sort of a view then um but then it's up to other people to knock that view away <laughs> as the week yeah. goes by but other people don't perhaps they make their decision thursday friday but yeah how yeah explain why is the order you receive information important so yeah, this this actually comes from research in sort of memory and cognitive psychology. Essentially, the early research is known as the serial position effect. And it says that we remember things that we listen to and see first mm -hmm. really well. And we remember and, and implement things that we see and listen to last. And we forget a lot of the middle information. And the original research that looked at this was in a shopping list. Oh. And they present a shopping list of 15 items. And everyone remembers the first three and the last mm -hmm. three. And those sort of middle few all, all seem to get forgotten. But that also applies to the way you digest content from the community and the order in which you do research. So primacy effect or anchoring bias, they both basically refer to the same thing, that we tie our metaphorical anchor to the first thing we see each week, the first piece of research. So if you always listen to the same podcast on a Monday or you always read a thread by the same person on a Monday, same article on the Scout, then you'll probably tie your metaphorical anchor to what they've presented, if it's a good argument, and you'll, you'll continue with that course of action despite new information arising. And then recency effect says that potentially the last thing you digest, so maybe on a Friday morning, mm -hmm. you see a brilliant thread that says that actually Mikel Antonio is the best captaincy option. You just disregard all of your prior research because of recency effect and you make that decision. And it's really important to, to remember the things that you were thinking during the middle of the week. And the nice way to do this is to keep some sort of diary. And I don't mean an in-depth diary, a page, a page per day, but just write down a few things. On Wednesday, I considered Calvert-Lewin because there was a really interesting video that suggested he had really high expected, expected goals. Just write that down because mm. by the time Friday comes around, if you realize I'm very set on Bamford and you go, well, hang on a second, why have I disregarded Calvert-Lewin? And it allows you to sort of stop, check your thought process, check your decision making and in that way, improve your decision making. And, it, and it's also applicable in, in pre-season. You will see a lot of your drafts, your eventual game week one team will have a lot of players from the first drafts you created back when you first started tinkering because of anchoring bias and primacy effect. Mm. And you'll also have a lot of players from your most recent drafts. But there'll also be players in the middle draft that you've probably just disregarded and you've forgotten about because you've been tinkering for so long. You've got those original core players and you've also got the new shiny toys that you've considered at the end. Mm. But you've probably forgot all about those middle players. And someone I've done that with is Calvert-Lewin. I didn't have him at the start. I had him in all of my middle drafts. And then I, I now don't have him at the end. And I'm thinking, why, why have I taken Calvert-Lewin out? Eight million pound, great fixtures. And it's because of shiny new toys and I've got new information. But if you write it down and keep a nice diary, which I have, as it as allowed me to realize that I am now disregarding Calvert-Lewin. Um, yeah, so it's something that doesn't normally get a lot of attention, the order of which you receive information. You just think, I've received all of this information this week. But it is in a specific order and that will affect which pieces you implement. So, I mean, that's a roundabout way. I... I before reading this book i sort of maybe have done that slightly and what i've done is it's still on my twitter uh, account i pinned the first team i made within half an hour of the game launching 
Yeah. Um, because there's so many tools available, I had a vague idea of of what the prices might be, and and was okay to do that. And and I and I've got that team there. There, it's, my current team is very different to that. So it is sort of like that. But I should have perhaps been doing that a bit more frequently, maybe once a week or something, and or at least yep. writing it down the changes I make. Uh, but that's a really good point, and it's something um, not too late. There's still pre-season to, to timestamp yep. this this is before the 21-22 season this is summer um coming up there because lots of people watch these videos you know in a year's time or or whatever yep. um, but you know while, while we will discuss your game week one side for this season um uh, this is also designed for people to watch anytime they like um so yeah that's something for next pre-season i might expand on so that's a really good tip yep. thanks for that um no worries tip four this back back to bias again and this is sort of after the event bias, outcome yep. and hindsight bias. So I see this a lot, you know, look at the look at the outcome, look at the decision, not the outcome. And, and that's all that's all wrapped up with this, I guess, outcome and hindsight bias. So, yeah, what, what's that done? And any examples of, of you doing that as well in your previous seasons? Yeah, these are lovely biases to consider and, and they've become very popular in the FPL community. And I'm, I'm glad about that because the better knowledge we have of the terminology, mm. I was discussing it on Andy's video, um, Let's Talk FPL. If you don't understand what these biases are, you have no knowledge of the terminology, you have no knowledge that exist, how on earth are you going to remove them from your decision-making or try to control them? So it's great that people are throwing these terms around in the community because it's important and it will help. Essentially, this tip for outcome and hindsight bias, the best way to improve your future decision-making is to look back on what you've done in the past and try to improve. It's that sort of post hoc evaluation after the fact was that the correct decision? Should I have made it? And how could I have made a better decision? Which is essentially what we're doing here. Mm. And is essentially how I hope that I'll now propel myself into the top 1K and be an elite yeah. FPL manager. But unfortunately, when we're looking back on the event and looking back at a decision we've made, we often have a tendency, a natural bias, to judge the effectiveness of the decision based on the outcome as opposed to the decision-making process. So say you captain Jamie Vardy because he's got the highest expected goals, he's got the best fixture, he looks fantastic on eye test, and Ian Acho scores 20 points. And Ian Acho's stats went anywhere near as good, he didn't look good on the eye test, there was potential rotation risk. And you look at that and you say, well, that was a terrible decision. Ian Acho's a good three million pound cheaper, he was always going to score points, it was a terrible decision to captain Vardy, and then you, you start beating yourself up over it. There's a few issues with that. Number one, you're going to feel terrible and you're going to make yourself feel bad about a decision. And, and there's no point beating yourself up. And like I said, enjoyment should be at the forefront of all of this. And the second thing, you're not going to improve your decision making if you're evaluating it based on the end product. Mm. Because captaining Vardy in that instant was probably the correct decision. So if you're starting to evaluate yourself based on points scored, you're going to change the way you make decisions for the worse. You're going to basically dampen the way you make decisions. And so for enjoyment purposes and also for trying to improve the way you make decisions attempt to try and evaluate the decision based on the process of making the decision not the outcome and also try not to be mr hindsight try not to say well i knew that was going to happen it's also sometimes termed the knew it all along effect because no one knew it was going to happen especially in football when it's all unpredictable uncontrollable events no one knows what's going to happen if you knew it was going to happen you should have made that decision so try not to apply hindsight too much as well when, when you're evaluating your decisions so for an example like that so let's say um, and obviously Vardy's getting on a bit now so um but but say we're in a state where where Vardy's still a great option and yep. Ian Acho's a, a, a good emerging option too so for that particular decision um you make you're saying it's obviously um you, you it's the correct decision because you're using the information 
there as well. But it's what you do after that event. So if someone then had a particular transfer in mind, I see this a lot um, on the forums um, about decisions and it leads people to take points hits. They've got to, they've got a change in mind. They're going to change a defender, but they're going to change Vardy to Ian Acho because Ian Acho's just scored 20 points and Vardy's just got two. And then the following week, Vardy gets 20 points and Ian Acho gets two points. And it goes on like that. And soon they're taking a hit a week and they're miles away and they've got no chance because, you know, those that are taking four or five hits a year um, are immediately 50, 60 points better off. Um, so is that an example of how that outcome and hindsight bias can be quite dangerous in terms of how you react to a bad event? Yeah, exactly. Outcome bias not only is an emotional aspect of the game, but it doesn't often lead to knee-jerk reactions for, for that exact reason. And if you if you can remove outcome bias or at least dampen it down and, and keep it at the back of your mind, then you would realise that Vardy was the correct option. He's still performing well. That might have been a fluke example. And the reason I use Vardy Nacho is I did it two weeks in a row last season when Ian Acho pulled those back-to-back calls. I can't remember what game week it was in. I had Captain Vardy in back-to-back game weeks and he got two points in each game week and I didn't have Ian Acho. And I knew that it wasn't, in, in that instance, Ian Acho did have good stats and maybe it wasn't the correct decision, but I knew that just knee-jerking and reacting and just bringing in Ian Acho would probably be an example of outcome bias. So I hung on to, to Vardy, but you can see here how all the biases start to interact because am I just avoiding outcome bias or am I experiencing the Semmelweis reflex and playing continuation? Am I failing to adapt to Ian Acho scoring goals? Yeah. So these are the sort of things we need to consider. We need to try and consider which which biases we're falling victim to more. But yeah, absolutely. Knee-jerk reactions is a, is a big sort of after the fact outcome of outcome bias. Um, and tip five, self-distancing. Um, so I'm assuming this is to do with um, the proliferation of, of Twitter, social media and FPL and how we've got lots of information coming into our decision. And then after the effect, we've got lots of people telling us how wonderful their scores are each week. And um, yep. perhaps that is not quite the correct picture of, of many managers. Um, but yeah, Self-distancing, why is that so important for FPL managers? And, and any examples you can give of how it's impacted on you? Yeah, this is my number one piece of advice. And again, sometimes it doesn't go down well with people when I say that enjoyment is the most important thing in FPL. And and that's not just because I don't have a fantastic history. I just think if you're enjoying the game, that is the most important thing, in my opinion, anyway. So self-distancing aims to try and decrease the negative experiences you have and increase the positive experiences you have. In the current day and age in social media, where basically we can experience managers posting 400, 500, you can see incredible scores about 10 minutes mm. after, the, after the game. Yeah. And it can make you feel terrible. It can ruin your weekend, especially if you've had a really tough one in FPL. So self-distancing, essentially the crux of it is you try and take yourself out of the immediate situation and remove the emotion. So again, so, not social distancing, by the mm. way, self-distancing. So when we're in the immediate situation, we've just had a really poor game week. Our emotions are so rife. We're feeling angry, upset, frustrated. We feel hard done by. And as such, we can not only make rage transfers and poor decisions, but we can feel really terrible. Self-distancing removes you from that. So you try and remove the emotion. And the way you can do that is by having a series of statements. So on my notes on my phone, I've got a few different statements, which just help me to see the bigger picture and to take myself out of the immediate situation. Sorry about that. That's all right. And they've gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so you can take yourself out of the media situation. So a, a nice little one is, in one year time, 
Will I will I care who I captained in game week 15 of the 21-22 season? Okay, and the answer should be no. If you're a, 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 like, you, if you're really, really meticulous and you really look at your decision potentially, but if you say in one year time, will I care that my captain got two points? Probably not. And then if if that still doesn't help, you can improve that. In five years time, will I care what my rank was in the 21-22 season? I guess if you're a content creator and you've got a perfect rank history potentially, but even so, you might not be playing FPO in five years. You might have had a kid or have a new job. And what this does is it allows you to see that, yes, FPO is incredibly important. The fact that we're producing this content, it means a lot to us, but it's not everything. And allowing you to see the bigger picture and to detach yourself from that situation, remove the emotion and think, right, yeah, I had a terrible game week, but is it the end of the world? Probably not. So it's nice to have these sort of set set of statements that there's a few in the book if you want to have like some specific templates, but have those statements. And after the game week, what I do is I'll log out of social media. I'll get my statements and I'll say, does it matter that I scored 32 points when the average was 54? Probably not. In a few weeks, I might make that up. And in a year's time, I might not even care about this season. In five (laughs) years, I might not be playing FPL. So um, yeah, self-distancing just helps remove the negative experience from the game, in, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I still, I didn't self-distance after I transferred uh, Firmino out for Lalana when they both were at Liverpool. And Firmino obviously um, scored a brace and Lalana got subbed off after five minutes. Um, I still remember that. That's about five years ago. <laughs> but I didn't self-distance. You know, I was, you know, obviously yep. a content creator. And yep. um, so... So at that time, you know, I was on social media and, you know, I had to go and explain it all on the Scoutcast and it still happened. But yes, it would be good to self-distance. Um, and I think it's, most it's people, difficult. Yeah, yeah it's difficult have. for content creators, though. It is. I think as you say, if you're a content creator, and you have to constantly dwell on your decision. You have to go onto a stream and a video and keep talking yeah. about that poor decision you made. Then then, yeah, it's very difficult. But I think for most people that aren't content creators, take a step back. Yeah. If you self-distance immediately, it helps you process the decision straight away. And then you're less likely to dwell on it views in the, in, the, in the future okay before we um get to your game week one side um so we'll have a look at that um um i've just a couple of things that were in your in your book you've got a sort of um uh questionnaire about to see whether you're risk seeking and risk averse um and you've also got one about the gut score and your rational score um so this is quite i always quite like this because i always enjoy these sort of dullard v maverick type um debates in fpl um, so uh, on the on the all risk seeking and risk averse, mine was twenty out of forty um, intermediate risk. So I do take a few risks, but not many. Um, so yep. um, I'm intermediate <laughs> risk taking, yep. which quite surprised me there. Um, but uh, yeah, where where were you on that? I was twenty out of forty on that that one. So right in the middle. Where where were you? You're right on, in the middle. Where were you on that? So, and yeah, yeah. So. Uh, the point of putting this questionnaire in it is it's important to play your game. There's there's so much research in chess and gaming as to whether you should take risks. And it obviously applies to different scenarios in different games. But the key piece of reoccurring research is you should take the amount of risks which suit your personality. So the point is you should find out if you're a risk-seeking or risk-averse individual and then make decisions in accordance with that. So I was 24 out of 40. So I was ever so slightly more risk-seeking than you, but still intermediate. Mm. And I think for a lot of us, we tend to be quite risk averse throughout most of the season. And the important thing with risk taking is finding that moment to take the risk and choosing the right time and not taking a risk for the sake of it. And I think that's probably what you do well. That's probably why you're 20 out of 40 as well is quite 
quite risk averse, quite logical, but you know when is the time to take a risk. And that comes with experience as well. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Try and find out who you are as a person, what your risk-seeking tendency is, and then you can apply that to FPL. Because that, that's also a central theme of a lot of these videos, the different types of managers that we have on. So you'll get ones like, for example, I mean, a Late Riser is, is probably the best example. I think don't think he'd been on any videos before. I invited him on. He comes on, says he's going to captain Aguero when no one else owns him, and Aguero yep. gets a hat-trick. Um, yep. And he ends up in the top 100. Um, yep. So... Um, so that that can work out. He is obviously his score would be very risk taking, and but it suits his because it's obviously his suits his character, his personality. So he's playing his own yep. game. So that's yep. essentially what you're saying: play your own game. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Spot on. Um, gut score and rational score. I like this one because I always hate that phrase. Go with your gut because it never really um, means yep. much, but it does mean something. Because what we mean by gut. So mine was was seventy three out of a hundred for rational. So I'm I'm quite rational. And then 48 yep. out of 100 for uh, intuitive, so gut feeling. So um, I don't tend to go with that. I don't I don't really know. Well, I know what my gut is, is my stomach yep. and my intestines. <laughs> but I don't, I don't go, I don't, I don't allow that to, to take my, otherwise I'd just be like transferring in loads of cream buns and things if I went <laughs> what my stomach told me. Um, yep. What what were your, how rational are you? <laughs> so I, I'm actually really high on both and oh. it, and it comes from my end conclusion at the end of that chapter of what I think gut feeling is and how you should apply it. So very quickly, the, the general concept I have is that gut feeling shouldn't drive your decision making and you shouldn't rely on gut feeling because it can often be missourced and it can often lead to rash decisions. Mm. I think you should make rational and logical decisions, use statistics, use eye test, use everything you can in your power to make a perfect decision. And if at the end of that, you've still got two or three options, say you're not sure whether it's bringing in Callum Wilson, Antonio or Watkins, you've got the choice between all three. At that point, if it's really a really tough decision, you're really not sure what to do. At that point, I think it's nice to trust your gut feeling. And the main reason for that is you're less likely to resent other people because you're not being influenced by them. You're likely to learn how to trust your own decision making and be more in touch with yourself, which is important in other, other aspects of life if you learn to trust your own decision making. So yeah, I think be as rational as possible. And then at the end, if you've still not got a clear decision, then you can choose your gut feeling. So I was 70 out of 100 for rational and 65 out of 100 for intuition. Oh. So I was quite high on both. Oh, okay, so that's probably a good way to be then. Um, you can trust yeah. your own um, judgment there, but also yep. your initial judgment, your gut, <laughs> yep. uh, but also be rational about that yep. as well. Okay, let's let's have a look at uh, your game week one side then. Um, so... This is this is uh, what people you know immediately watching this will look at, and you know if you're watching this years time, months time, um, you know it's a useful snapshot of how you're hoping to apply all that we talked about to your actual own team. Um, so let's get your team up here, um, and so what I'll do is I'll, I'll read I'll read it out just for the benefit of those listening on the podcast, and then what we'll do is uh, we'll go we'll go through the players and we'll go through some of the decisions as well why why you've got this team. Um, so you've got Backman uh, in goal, uh, backed up on the bench with Foster. You're going for 3-4-3, Alexander-Arnold, Shaw and Luke Dean. Uh, Fernandez, Salah, who is your captain currently uh, against Norwich in game week one. Wendia, Greenwood, Tony Watkins, Antonio. And on your bench you've got Veltman at Brighton, Brownhill Burnley and Mankio. Uh, the non-playing Newcastle defender, or well, he could be playing. You never know. But he's yeah, four point zero. So, yeah. um, take me through. 
not do it player by player, but just some of your decisions. What 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 have you applied from your book into this team? So I think flexibility is the main one in order to avoid being closed-minded because yes, we've got the Semmelweis reflex and yes, you can be closed-minded as a cognitive bias. If your team doesn't allow you to do certain things, then that will just reinforce the closed-mindedness and you'll think, well, yeah, there's no point doing that because not only is it going against my original course of action, but I can't actually get there in more than about two or three moves. So apart from one particular style of player and price point, my draft is very flexible and I can get to most people within a, a move or two. That's the main reason for having Bruno and Salah. I know a lot of people have gone off Bruno and we've got the whole Bruno movement and, and people are very keen on getting rid of him. My question would be if KDB, Bruno and Kane all start banging in the goals, how on earth are you going to get to one of them if you've only got Salah? Mm. So I think two premiums is, it actually gives your draft more flexibility, in my opinion. I okay. think just because it allows you to get to other premiums a lot quicker. So that's the key thing for me that I wanted Trent just for, for every reason and I wanted the two premiums. I think there's a lot of value in the three forwards mm -hmm. and I just built my draft around that. The only thing that doesn't have flexibility here and it does worry me because it reminds me of what happened last season with Calvert-Lewin is I don't think there's an easy way here to get to the likes of Sancho, Son, Havertz, Mahrez because other than Salah and Fernandez, my most expensive player is Greenwood mm -hmm. and I don't like that lack of flexibility. So yeah, that, that's what worries me about this current draft and it, it worries me that if Havertz and Sancho and all those players start scoring goals, it will lead to me being closed-minded and not adapting because mm. I can't really get there with my That's current draft. Exactly. What we were talking about earlier when I was saying that um, I, I've just tentatively taken Fernandez out, replaced him with a sort of Son Mares, yeah. Um, who can and if he fulfills that role that you had. Um, yeah. Looking at your team as well in terms of the flexibility, one one thing I like to have is a cash cow. He always used to be Christian Eriksen to play. I'm quite happy to own. I'm quite happy to dump, and he's around yeah. about nine million. <laughs> Which yep. is perfect because he can go down to anything and it's easy yep. to move up. Um, who is your cash cow here? Game week one, bandwagon emerges. Game week two, you know, after a couple of game weeks, um, a Sancho, for example, Son, Mahrez. Yep. Who makes way? Who's your cash cow? So I think my cash cow here is Greenwood, but my mm. issue with that is that he's not. It's not really a cash cow; it's just a cow. There's not, there's not really <laughs> enough money. There's not really enough money tied up in him, which is is a potential issue. Yeah. At the, at the moment, I'm considering ways to try and get Greenwood to the likes of Mares, Sancho, Havertz, or Son. It would require downgrading Shaw and Luca Dean to 4.5 million defenders, yeah. or switching up the formation and getting rid of Tony probably to like Keenan Davis, and then going to like a 3-5-2 or a 4-4-2. Um, but I really do like having three playing forwards. And I think mm. another thing, there's not necessarily a massive amount of psychology behind this, but last season, I like to try and find reasons to go without popular players for the sake of it. It was almost like a point to prove yeah. stubbornness again. I see that and, a lot, yeah. Yeah, and I think, why am I trying to go without Tony? The fixtures aren't terrible. He's on some free kicks. He's a brilliant passer of the ball, gets lots mm. of assists. He's on penalties. He'll score 40, 50% of Brentford's goals. Why would I go without him? I'm trying to find reasons to... In the past, I would have tried to find reasons to go without him. And I'm just thinking, he's a, he's a talismanic figure. Yeah. He'll score goals. So I'd like to keep Tony, but that's probably the easiest way to get Greenwood to a cash cow, the likes of Sancho or, or Son. Yeah, I mean, for, I mean, Salah is an example of that as well. So um, you often get this. I mean, Salah's just been immense for, what, three seasons now? Um, two seasons, at least two. It, it, it feels like forever. We've always had Mo Salah. But um, a couple of few times in the season, 
um, you get you you get it to wave. You're talking about social about self distancing, but it's before that decision. You get this sort of wave of Salah out, no Salah movement. And I remember one particular one was before that Bournemouth game where he scored, I don't know, a million goals, <laughs> and um, a lot of people. He was very captainable, and that was a real make or break moment. That was a you know you either get forty fifty points that week or or or, or nothing on yep. that one player. Um, so is that an example of that? That's why you've gone for Fernandez Sal. There's no reason not to have them. Yeah, and I think it's important not to make that decision based on fear of missing out, which again is a very important concept in, in psychology and FPL. If you don't think Bruno and Salah are good options, then don't have them. But mm. equally, don't take them out just for the sake of it. And it's a really interesting series of studies that suggest that the mere ownership of having one friend next to you. So it was, a, it, there's lots of driving studies. The, if you have one of your friends watching you, you're much more likely to drive in a risky fashion and make risky decisions. It's, just, it's called sort of the mere presence effect. So just mm. by having someone watching you, you're likely to make really risky decisions and try and be really outlandish. So you can imagine if you've got 50,000 followers on Twitter or even a hundred mm. followers on Twitter, I think people sometimes like to be outlandish for the sake of yeah. it and to try and increase fame, likes, retweets, but also, just the, the general nature, we have this bias. That if people are watching us, we like to be risky. And I think social media has probably propelled that concept of making these risky decisions. I'm going without Salah because you'll get 50 likes for it and people will think you're a genius if it, yeah. if it comes off. So um, I think that's probably the main reason for people doing okay. that. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, looking at the other the other players in the team as well. So what we talk about flexibility with Shaw and, and Luca Dean. I mean, so you, you're going for two players at the same price point, but... You can really move down. You can get, you know, a four four million emerges. You can just move one of them down, and you've exactly. suddenly freed up one and a half million there. Yeah. Um, and the same with Anto- those three forwards as well. There's a lot of choice in yeah. those. So we've got Jimenez emerging game week yeah. four. Um, so presumably, is he, you know, a player that you're thinking about game week four? Are you thinking Arsenal game week four? Is it, you, I'm just getting seeing how. Uh, whether the sports psychology side of things has, has transferred to planning fixtures and looking at the season ticker and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and momentum is a very important thing in sport. I, I know there's a form is a myth. I know there's this debate on, on social media. Is form real? From a psychological perspective, form is real, but you wouldn't call it form. You would call it momentum and confidence. But I would like to see whether Jimenez starts the season with that because if he does i mean i think he's got like 181 and 194 points or something like that in his past two seasons so he's a 200 point player or approaching that at least so there's no reason that he won't recapture that form if he has that confidence and momentum in him um, i'm actually considering going with him from the start to be honest just because okay. i expect wolves to score in those first few games and if they do similar to tony it's probably gonna be him and us grabbing mm-hmm. them but i think watkins as a placeholder for him and us is an, an absolutely fantastic move because their fixtures just align perfectly where you can just switch off um and same with buendia buendia is in my side as well um you know he was in the top four players for chance creation uh last time norwich were in uh the top flight um obviously that was De Bruyne top but you know he, he was you know messing with those lads and then yep. um, similar uh, Norwich in the championship different level but goals um, creating chances assists so Buendia looks a great option for the first three game week four comes along fixtures turn off a cliff who, who have you got obviously you know Jimenez for, for Watkins could be a move who, who, who have you got in mind so far to come in for Buendia so I know it will never line up like this because of price falls and price rises, but at the moment, if the price were to stay the same, it's a lovely switch from Buendia and Watkins to Harrison and Bamford. 
yeah. for Leeds fixtures. So obviously it, it probably won't line up like that. I'd probably be out of cash, which mm. is why I'm I'm trying my best. I, I don't in this current draft, but I'd love to leave 0.5 in the bank. Mm. But I think, yeah, Buendia to Harrison or Rafinha and then Watkins to Jimenez or Bamford. I think there is a key, key switch in fixtures around game week three mm. or four. And I think that's why a lot of people are lining up there with wildcard very early this year. Um, because as well as this fixture swing in game weeks, sort of game week seven, eight and game week 13, there's also a really nice fixture swing in game week like four. Yeah. And we've got the international break as well. So I think if if you've realized that you've got an inflexible team, you're realizing you're struggling to get to players, all your players are falling in price. I don't think it's necessarily a poor decision to go with your early wildcard. Um, but I do discuss that in the book, the idea about different chip strategies, because yeah. I think there's a lot of people that are really against playing early and aggressive and, and like to delay. But there is some evidence to suggest that that, that might be an, an optimal decision making path for you. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, I mean, look back on seasons where I've done particularly well. Um, an early wild card has has sorted me out if it's been going yeah. badly. Um, I remember one particular year, game week one, I got the wrong two wrong Chelsea heavyweights. I think Lampard was a bit injured. Drogba um, was obviously Drogba, and but I I went with like Maluda and someone else. Um, <laughs> so game week two, I just took a hit and moved them. So that's another thing to do as well, I guess, is just not be afraid to take a hit every now and again if it's logical yep. or, or rational. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so looking elsewhere with the team as well, um, Alexander-Arnold I find interesting because we sort of know why he's there because of his you know range of points. But I've been without Alexander at times and it's horrible. And you were talking about enjoyment of the game. I, I as a as a, a quite a rational, safe manager, really enjoy this team. <laughs> Your team on the screen, I really enjoy. Um, but yeah. is that for you? Do you enjoy this, or do you feel you've been forced into it because you're aware of all the biases? I think actually the biases allow me to make my own decisions, and that's that's mm. one of the key points throughout the book. Is so uh, someone said it's a very template team. I actually don't know the percentage of a lot of these players. Obviously, for making videos for YouTube and mm. for different things, I have to find them out. I won't look at percentage of ownership too much. I really don't think it should allow me to affect my decision making. And fear of missing out on Trent's points, I don't think that's what's affecting my decision making. No. The fact that I expect him to get points is the reason he's in there. And I also think, as we said with flexibility, having the most expensive defender in the game is a great way to start because if he's not performing, if Robertson's doing the same for cheaper, or if Liverpool just look terrible, if you drop Trent to Fafana, you've just got yourself three million to use elsewhere. And that's when you could then get Greenwood up to, to Son or something similar. So no, I, I still I still enjoy the game. That, that doesn't affect me too much. I just think he's a fantastic option. So you sent this team to me yesterday, I think it was a couple of days ago. Um... How different has this team been from the team that you created when the game launched, if you did indeed create a team then? It hasn't changed too much. Mm. Uh, early on, I identified the fact that I really liked the three, four, three playing forwards. I think early on, what I did is Greenwood was a little bit cheaper. My defence was a little bit cheaper. And instead of Tony, I had Calvert-Lewin. Mm. And I've, Watkins, Calvert-Lewin and Antonio are my favourite front three, if you had all the money in the world. But I did realise that if I dropped Calvert-Lewin to Tony, who is on penalties, is the talismanic figure, then you can use the money elsewhere. So the actual general structure hasn't changed too much. And um, the keepers, I've been switching back and forth. I'm really not sure who I want in goal. But other than that, yeah, the, the team stayed fairly similar. And I'm quite happy with the general structure. But I would like, like as you say, that cash cow, that, that Son, that Sancho, mm. that Mara's figure. So at the moment, I'm playing around with ways to, to get that price point in as well. So you're aware of the, I suppose the point I was getting to is you're aware of the, the anchor uh, within that oh, bias yeah. so you yeah. you like i was saying i've made an initial draft as well and i'm aware that you know things yep. change don't they so for example yep. we had some news today um that the uh 
basically referees and VAR are not going to gum down massively heavy on uh, awarding penalties um, yep. and those VAR decisions. So basically, if you've got a toenail over the over the line, they're going to give the benefit of the doubt to the attacker. There, yep. or your, your elbow goal won't be disallowed for the elbow. Or if or if someone just breathes near Bruno Fernandes in the ninety seventh <laughs> minute at Brighton, there's not going to suddenly get. You yeah. say, oh, I'm still, yeah. you know, I'm still yeah. angry. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's not going to result in a penalty. Um, yeah. Probably will for him, but um, but it's, on the, on the whole, it's not going to. So so that's an example of bringing in new information there. Yeah. Um, that I don't yep. want to forget about in two weeks time when I finalize my team, because that could be yeah. quite good information. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think you should definitely reconsider Fernandez if the main reason you've got him in is for his penalties. Mm. I still think that he could perform very well this season with Sancho and the team with Greenwood Cavani without the pens, but it, it probably means if you're picking a player and one of the main reasons is for the penalties, then it might be time to reconsider. And this is what, yeah, exactly as you say, don't let your anchoring bias, your playing continuation bias affect you. Consider this new information. How much will it affect our penalty takers? And and write it down. I'm, I'm a big fan of writing things down. I know in modern day we're typing things now, but if you want to type it, but try and record your decision-making process, record your thought process, mm -hmm. because sometimes it's difficult. Why did I take Bruno out? It's, sometimes it's difficult to remember if you haven't written it. So write stuff out. And I think that will help um, adapt to new information personally. I think that's a fitting place uh, to end, really. It's a really, really good advice. There's loads of top tips there. But but with what I found fascinated with, with the book was that um, it was bringing in those, those psychological <laughs> theories behind it. Yeah. Um, because essentially we're just, you know, we're just machines. The brain is just a machine. And, um, yeah. you know, and sometimes we like to think, you know, we are this individual. But we're an individual for a reason <laughs> yeah. because we've got yeah. all these things going on in our heads and some of them, you know, to do with intuition and, and rationale and, and logic. But it's been fascinating and uh, a fitting good start to the Meet the Manager series for this season, really, to uh, offer those top tips. Um, but Ross, um, thanks so much for coming on. And just before we go, anything you would like to add? No, it's no, been a pleasure. I think um, we've covered um, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we've covered everything. Thank you. Excellent. Um, well, thanks so much for coming on. Um, good luck in game week one. Good luck in your season, your yep. your top 5K, top 1K finish. Uh, beckon, <laughs> exactly. Beckons. Yep. Um, uh, thanks for coming on. Cheers, Joe.